In this week's episode, we are going to take another look at the ethics of reselling. We've got news updates from Amazon, Mercari, eBay, and more. And I'm going to be drinking a lot of coffee because it is really cold in the Batcave. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome once again to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Uh, there have been a lot of new listeners here recently, and if you are one of them, my name is Ryan, and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber, and podcaster working out of my home here in the greater Cincinnati area. And this channel is all about the flip life. We have got another pretty big show. I think I've got a dozen or maybe 13, Baker's dozen, as it were, news stories to cover. Um, we've got some updates. I've got a what sold segment. And uh, you may hear me slurping some coffee because it is like 50 degrees down here in the back cave. I've got, <laughs> uh, if you're watching, if you're here with me this morning live on YouTube, thank you. You can see I'm sporting the flannel and the t-shirt, and uh, long johns, and I am still freezing cold. So uh, I think it's four or five degrees here in Cincinnati today, which I suppose if you live up in Canada or somewhere further north, that's fairly common. But for me, man, I'm, I'm not digging it at all. With all that out of the way, uh, let's get into... News Updates. Are reselling news. Uh, things kind of popped off this week once again. We've talked about this, I think, a couple of times on this show, the the ethics, the ethical side of reselling, and it really kind of popped off with some pushback on Khloe Kardashian. There's a name I never thought I would be bringing up <laughs> uh, on a reselling show, but here we are. Khloe uh, Kardashian is facing outrage over selling her three-year-old daughter's used designer clothes. So uh, the article, which is on She Knows, among other places, it was everywhere last week, says, we all know the Kardashians are sitting on a fortune from their reality show stardom partnerships and their related businesses. So why do they continue to resell their children's clothing for profit instead of donating them to charity? That is the big question being asked of Khloe Kardashian, who tweeted about the latest round of outfits from daughter True Thompson's closet being uploaded on the Kardashian closet resale site. So they're so massive, they have their own resale site for their own used clothing. Just remarkable. Um, I, I'll refrain from comment on... <laughs> Uh, my thoughts on the Kardashians in general, but, uh, the article says every mom knows that their kids clothing takes a lot of wear and tear and they grow so quickly that most outfits are only used for a season. That's where the mom squad usually helps each other out and passes on the clothing to a friend or family member once their child has outgrown them. But the Kardashians, as it turns out, are making a handsome profit on their former and often free wardrobe that comes with a lot of conditions. According to their website, all sales are final. There are no returns, exchanges, refunds, or cancellations. And that's when the tweets came pouring in under Chloe's tweet. Who would pay that much for children's clothing, let alone used? One user wrote, who gives a damn about brand names so disgusted with when these clothes could be donated to people in need? Another social media account shared, why does everything they do need to be about money? The Kardashian Closet website does not specify if any of the proceeds from the sales go to charity, but it might make some of their fans feel better about shopping from them. Chloe has not 
as of the time of writing, responded to any of that criticism, but she's not the only family member, of course, selling items there. The article says the entire family should be accountable in this situation. So uh, my initial thoughts are, I don't, frankly, see anything wrong with this. Uh, If there are people who are willing to pay a premium for articles of clothing or anything else that has been used, worn, owned, whatever, by a quote-unquote celebrity, then there is a market for that. And I don't have any problem with the Kardashians or anyone else capitalizing on that market for a profit. If these clothes have been donated to them or given to them in some kind of sponsorship agreement, then maybe that's something entirely different. But I don't feel like just because they happen to already have money that they should necessarily not be able to continue to capitalize on their celebrity in this way. They should not have to donate this stuff. I just don't, from an ethics standpoint, I don't see anything wrong with this. You can let me know what you think. If you are here this morning in the chat, you can leave it in the chat. If you are watching the replay, feel free to leave it in the comments. If you are listening to the podcast, you can, of course, leave me a voice message using the link down below, which I did actually get a voice message It was actually on Instagram last week, and I haven't gotten permission from the sender of the message to use it in the show, Uh, but she had caught the show on Audible and had some things to say, so hopefully she'll reach back out and let me know if I can play that. But uh, you can leave a voicemail there, or you can email me at galaxycds at gmail.com. Speaking of the chat, let's jump in there real quick. Uh, Good morning, Papa Sticks Treasures, TRB Collectibles. Uh, TRB says, I think everyone, no matter who should be able to resell. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that particular route. Um, in Mustang news, clothing resellers address the ethical dilemma of upselling secondhand clothing. This is another topic that comes up from time to time in the call it mainstream press, if you will. Scrolling through the fashion marketplace app Depop, thousands of thrifted finds flood its user screens. Buyers sift through $50 slip dresses, vintage band tees, and an assortment of other hot commodities. This influx of resold clothing and accessories paired with steep prices has sparked a conversation about the ethics of reselling used clothing. Old Mission School thrift shop employee Susanna Toner said she's noticed an increase in pricing of used clothes overall, but her store aims to keep costs reasonable. We have talked about that on this show previously, that the cost, uh, we're seeing a lot of posts on social media about particularly at Goodwill, especially since they have plans to grow their own online reselling business, that their prices have gone up. They are no longer necessarily as attractive a place to go for resellers as they were in years past. Uh, everything that we sell is looked up to see its retail price, she says, and then we try to give a fair price based on, obviously, the condition of everything. Pricing goes in hand-in-hand with increased demand for thrifted items, hence the inflation of those. Stores can now get away with charging more because they know someone will buy it eventually. When resellers just come in and take a lot of clothes from people who need them at the thrift store prices, that kind of gets out of hand when they buy more than they need. Again, I will say I completely disagree with that. Thrift stores are overloaded with clothing to the point where they're turning people away with donations. So I don't think resellers taking clothing, buying clothing at whatever market value the thrift store chooses to put on the item 
is in any way unethical or depriving anyone of the opportunity to buy clothing. I think that is a total, it's virtue signaling to me at its finest. There is no, there is, there is no there there. There is so much available inventory. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, an article where there is so much clothing that some thrift stores are being forced to just literally give stuff away. So this to me is just an absolute red herring. There's nothing there. I definitely have seen people resell stock from our store, which is fair game. One uh, person said, if you come out and you find it and get a certain price, then more power to you if you're able to sell it for more than us. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, Again, due to the sheer amount of clothing available and eventual textile waste, Arlo said, reselling does not hurt those that rely on thrifted items. If you walk through any Goodwill type store, she said, there's aisles and aisles of clothing. This one awesome clothing piece a person is reselling is not necessarily going to affect the chances of someone who is more in need of finding something because it may not be the most trendy. It will be affordable. Old Mission School Thrift Shop serves as a last stop for much of its inventory and unsold items after four or five months are just thrown out. So again, here's another case where the person who's saying that resellers are keeping goods from people in need, her very store is throwing stuff out after four or five months. Unsold, unsold clothes at the Assistance League of San Luis Obispo County Thrift Store are given away to other nonprofits. Uh, Fred and Betty's works with another company to recycle the fabric and linens of unsold inventory. A lot of the clothing, they note, donated, ends up in the landfill anyway, so I'd like to resell it myself and make it sure it goes to someone who actually wants it. You are, they point out, paying the reseller for their time spent in the thrift stores because that does take patience and skill, one person said. Also, a lot of people who resell will upcycle clothes, so if it has a problem, they will fix that. So you're also paying for that service. So that's something I've talked about previously. Resellers, are our role in the marketplace is to be the intermediary between someone who has an item and someone who wants an item that may be displaced geographically and can't they're not available to go to a thrift store in LA but you find it and offer it for sale on Poshmark and somebody clear across the country buys it uh one person suggested that resellers limit how much they buy from thrift stores leaving clothes behind for others to purchase and remain fair when calculating pricing again there is plenty of clothing available. There was a picture on Instagram the other day from a fellow local here. I think it's Matt Resells uh, of a thrift store with literally dozens of bags of clothing sit outside waiting to be processed. So there is no shortage of clothing. This to me is not an issue. This one, however, may be not necessarily, I guess, an ethical situation, but this columnist and a Depop veteran says it is a love-hate relationship. Uh, We've all seen how immeasurably the age of the Internet has impacted the fashion industry. On the one hand, it catapulted the fast fashion industry to the top by condensing the trend cycle and, on the other, boosted the vintage and sustainable fashion scene as well. Budget Vintage has become accessible, offering a sustainable alternative to cheap fast fashion favorites and an absolute field day for passionate yet broke vintage lovers. Launched in 2011, Depop grew a reputation for being the primary online destination for cool, youthful, affordable garments featuring a usually user-friendly peer-to-peer system 
it helped democratize access to the vintage and independent market for both buyers and sellers. And the app, she notes, must be celebrated for allowing young designers to launch ethical, sustainable, high-quality pieces as well as for helping make secondhand fashion mainstream. However, the new professional era of the app has left its old magic in the mud, she says. The platform's free, scarcely regulated marketplace and totally accessible nature make it the perfect breeding ground for the inflation of the resale market. Today, Depop is awash with professional vintage resale businesses and simply cheeky individuals hiking up prices excessively. Anyone can sell on the platform, and if you can create enough hype around a brand, people will pay any ludicrous asking price. Again, I would say I don't have any problem with that. If someone is willing to pay an obscene price for a shirt, a vintage band tee, a PlayStation 5, (laughs) whatever it is, that market exists. And as long as there's nothing being done illegally really to source that stuff, I... The market will only bear what the market will bear. And if there are people willing to pay those prices, more power to them. Uh, She cites one particular example that has kept her up night after night. The journey of an unassuming camisole camisole top from the late 90s, early 2000s. A quick explanation uh, for those who do not dream. The year is 2020. Madison Beer wears this vintage camisole top and she looks good. Chaos ensues. Those who were lucky enough to have a trendy older sister were selling theirs to the highest bidder, usually anywhere from one to three hundred pounds. Uh, she is in the UK. Was the top cute? Yes. Did I attempt to find a clueless individual drastically underselling it on eBay so I could claim the filthy reward for myself, but was ultimately unsuccessful? Yes, she says, but don't tell anyone. And for me, this was the turning point. I had been an avid Depop user for a few years already, slowly watching it become more and more profit hungry. Again, I don't necessarily agree that that's a bad thing. It was time for me to go. Trying to shop for late 90s and early 2000s pieces is becoming unbearable after wading through shine clothing falsely hashtagged as vintage and someone charging a month's rent for a pair of moth-eaten corduroy trousers. The good stuff has been marked up so much that it has become more expensive to buy secondhand than in a high street shop. Buying on Depop has finally and perhaps inevitably become more expensive than fast fashion. The reality of today's Depop is that it is dominated by professional sellers rather than ordinary people hoping to make an extra bit of cash from a wardrobe clear out. Uh, She, for her part, is now working with Vinted and a site I've not heard of called Spock. Uh, They're taking their place for her. And of course, she still sells on the OG eBay. So again, this is a seller who is just not that profit hungry, I guess, and feels that there's something inherently unethical about maximizing your profit as a business. And I, again, I, I just disagree with that premise entirely. So let me jump back into the chat here. Tom, TRB collectibles in your reselling career. Have you ever sold clothing? Positive, negative. I try to stay far away. As I've mentioned here a couple of times, I, I generally don't, I do have some, I like hats, Um, I do have a few pieces of clothing, but my personal experience is that there are, there's a lot of measurements that people request and that's just not for me an area that I want to, I'm not interested in it. So I don't want to invest the time to service those customers the way they want to be serviced. So I generally kind of shy away from it. 
Uh, TRB Collectibles says, should thrift stores be allowed to sell online at competitive prices? Sure. I, I Again, I don't have any problem. It makes it more difficult, obviously, for us as resellers to source product. Again, Goodwill being the primary example of that. As they want to grow their online store to, I think it was like $5 billion or something like that, they're going to continue to cherry pick the best stuff out of it and to begin to charge higher and more premium prices because that's where the market is. That's where we're selling the stuff. I don't, I really can't fault them for trying to sell for the same kind of rates. So uh, it is going to be an ongoing issue for, especially in clothing, I feel like, to source stuff at reasonable prices where you can maximize your profit. But uh, clearly there are people who feel that it's already... (laughs) Uh, gone entirely too far. An article on Glossy notes that the competition between resale as a service providers is heating up as brand demand grows. This is something that we've talked about on this show several times over the past six months. The mass adoption of resale among fashion brands from Patagonia to Nike has been facilitated by the rise of a new industry resale as a service. Companies like Trove, Archive, and ThreadUp have ushered dozens of fashion brands into the space with full packages that take care of all of the headaches of running a resale business. As more brands bustle into the space, the service world is growing more competitive. Archive, a platform that that powers the resale business of brands, including uh, Dagne Dover, M.M. Lafleur, and Oscar De La Renta, got a boost this week when it announced an $8 million funding round led by Lightspeed Venture and Bain Capital. There were some other individual investors, including the CEO of Oscar de la Renta, uh, the co-founder of Zola, the former CEO of Credo Beauty. So people are recognizing this as a great business opportunity. This round of funding brings Archive's total funding since the company launched just a year ago in February of 2021 to $10 million dollars. This puts them behind Trove, which has raised more than $120 million, but ahead of other companies like Reeflant, which has raised $2.5 million. The interest these companies have received from the industry shows there's an appetite for this resale as a service and room to grow. Archive, for their part, touts their ability to build custom differentiated resale experiences for each brand as a differentiating factor. Uh, The CEO of Oscar de la Renta notes that their particular site, which includes runway footage for different looks, which was something that other archive brand partners don't have, as an example of catering to the client. This is contrasted, they note, with ThreadUp, which has partnerships with nearly two dozen brands, which we've talked about before, including Adidas, Abercrombie & Fitch, and Fabletics. Many of their partnerships are with brands that are fundamentally similar with little difference in customer experience across each brand. So they're buying athletic wear as a prime example and are marketing all of their brand's partnerships in a very similar way. They're not trying to differentiate necessarily, say, Nike from someone else. Instead, they focus on obtaining secondhand products from the customers directly to then be resold, they offer the closet clean-out bags to customers of its partner brands with store credit incentives to send the unwanted clothes back. For brands, the choice of which platform to go with is a decision with many contributing factors like the choice interplay between buyers and sellers. Archive specializes in peer-to-peer resale while Trove's focus is consignment. It was important to us to have a resale program that was peer-to-peer. 
Others in the space promote white label offerings that did not feel quite as personal. We knew that buying and selling was happening quite often among our customers on unofficial channels like Facebook, and we felt that it was important to replicate what was currently happening. They, as we've talked about numerous times, see money being made by private individuals on the backs of their brands, and they want a piece of the action. Again, it's really hard to fault them. It makes our job, potentially, as resellers, especially, again, in clothing, much more difficult. So just be aware of that. Madewell, which works with ThreadUp, uh, for them, the deciding factor was finding a partner with an established community and a track record. ThreadUp has done very well with their particular program. That gives us a lot of credibility in the space. Liz Hirschfield, the Senior VP and Head of Sustainability at Madewell, told Glossy back in September. So a lot going on there in in kind of the big space. Madewell, for their part, uh, they are now getting fully on board the resale program with their own clean-out kits. Madewell is making it easier for consumers to rid their closets of unwanted jeans. The retailer, which expanded its service, Madewell Forever, with ThreadUp's resale-as-a-service technology last year, recently introduced their own clean-out kits as another way for customers to sustainably recycle unwanted garments. Each kit, which are available at Madewell stores and online at madewellforever.com, Includes a free shipping label that can be used on any box. Consumers can load their packages with women's clothing, handbags, footwear, and accessories by any brand. And then drop it off at a USPS or FedEx location. Packages can be up to 30 pounds. Customers will receive $20 off new jeans from Madewell for each pair they send in. Consumers also have opportunities to earn shopping credit in exchange for any other clothing that quote-unquote makes the cut. Madewell does note that only about 50% of the items they receive in these kits qualify to be listed. The rest is responsibly recycled. Brands and retailers are working to eliminate the barriers and hurdles that prevent textile recycling. Size-inclusive underwear brand Parade announced last week that they will provide consumers with free biodegradable bags and prepaid shipping labels to return clean used underwear from any brand in exchange for a 20% discount on their next purchase. With the help of this recycling partner, TerraCycle, garments will eventually be turned into new products such as insulation, furniture, and bedding. In 2019, Cotton Incorporated's Blue Jeans Go Green program established a partnership with Zappos, who's mostly known for shoes, to promote denim recycling. The arrangement continues to allow consumers to mail in unwanted jeans made with at least 90% cotton to Blue Jeans Go Green via a Zappos for Good prepaid shipping label. The jeans are then converted to natural cotton fiber insulation for buildings. Made well forever, they note, has collected almost 125,000 pairs of jeans via its trade-in program since it launched last July. So, big money in here. And again, the, the Gen Z and the Millennials are all about this sustainability and recycling, and these programs obviously go some way in helping with that. Moving on, Amazon, because uh, they're not big enough already. They're opening their first ever clothing store at a California mall. Uh, the big just keep getting bigger. This article is on Al Jazeera, and of course I will link to all of these articles in the show notes and the video description below. The entry into malls could become another threat to traditional clothing sellers because of the data and shopper insights that Amazon may ga- gain, say retail experts. Amazon said last Thursday 
that it plans to open a clothing store in a Southern California mall later this year. It's their latest foray into brick-and-mortar sales, uh, and they already sell more than 10% of all clothing sold in the United States. This shop will open at Americana at Brand, a mall in Glendale, California. Amazon says their algorithms will spit out real-time recommendations as shoppers keep scanning items that they see. Um, We all know that those algorithm recommendations that you get on Amazon.com are not necessarily always super accurate, but they're going to attempt to bring that into the retail store environment. They note shoppers can go through the store, browsing items on display, scan a QR code to see sizes, colors, customer ratings. Shoppers can send items to fitting rooms or directly to the store's counter. Once they're in a fitting room, customers can request other items using a touchscreen in the fitting room. Uh, One writer noted, uh, be cautious. Amazon's success depends on their execution. Traditionally, they are not all that good at creating a great in-store experience. It tends to be really solid at technology and operations, but can fall short on both spirit and soul, both of which are particularly important in fashion, where consumers love inspiration, curation, and personal services. So we'll have to see how that works out for Amazon, but um, their ongoing quest to conquer the world continues. (laughs) All right. Uh, Amazon has also sent out a warning to their uh, FBA sellers to shape up about their shipments. They warned sellers enrolled in the FBA program not to send canceled or deleted shipments to its fulfillment centers. Not only might it reject such shipments, but it warned your ability to send us additional shipments may also be suspended. This new policy goes into effect on April 1st, 2022. So if you are a Amazon FBA seller, be sure you check whatever their equivalent of the seller hub is, seller central, I guess, and look for this notice. They note certain actions lead to additional processing, handling, and rerouting, which can cause delays and cost Amazon money, which they hate. (laughs) Uh, The practices Amazon FBA sellers say Amazon frowns upon include deleting shipping plans after you've approved them, misrouting shipments, and sending incomplete shipments, such as shipments that are in canceled or deleted status. It included a set of guidelines it expects sellers to adhere to when sending their inventory to their fulfillment centers. Ironically, of course, Amazon's message boards are full of complaints by seller about how the company currently handles the processing of their shipments from complaints about the length of time it takes to make inventory available for sale once it arrives to reports of inventory that is totally lost. Quote, what are you doing about all the inventory that gets lost after being delivered to the FBA fulfillment centers? One seller asked. So uh, Amazon continues in a weird dichotomy, to use a fancy word, to try to lure new sellers to the platform while simultaneously making it more and more difficult to participate in the platform. It's a really strange set of circumstances over at Amazon. And one more reason that despite knowing that there's a ton of money to be made there. I just don't mess with them. <laughs> uh, Mercari sent out an announcement. Uh, if you sell there, you probably got a notification yesterday. Shipping fees on Mercari are about to go up. The current shipping rates are effective through the end of this month. Uh, they have a handy little chart that shows what the current shipping rates are. Effective 2-1. New rates will go into effect for Mercari prepaid labels. For new listings, then beginning on March 1st, 2022, 
all existing listings will also be subject to these new rates. Seller paid shipping rates only change on existing listings if you update the shipping option. So if you're using Mercari prepaid labels, if you're paying for them, they are going up. The USPS label increase is not really all that substantial. It's like seven, eight, nine cents. But if you use their FedEx service, it is going up a ton. Things up to three pounds, which previously were just seven ninety nine, are now going to be fourteen dollars. So almost double. Uh, at the high end, the hundred pound package is going from one hundred and seventy dollars on FedEx to two hundred and eighty one dollars and twenty cents. <laughs> uh, so FedEx is bringing down the hammer on Mercari, and I don't know if that is because people have been inaccurately putting in the calculations for weight and size, and FedEx is just losing money on these shipments because they were offering a deeply discounted rate or what the issue is, but FedEx, if you are a seller on Mercari who primarily uses FedEx, you definitely want to go in and take a look at what these new rates are because they are going up by a significant amount. UPS rates look like they remain essentially unchanged for the most part. Um, at the three pound and up area, they go up just a little bit. So not a big change for for UPS. Pennies for the most part, up to about 10 pounds for USPS. So be aware of that if you are a Mercari seller. eBay, if you're an investor in the platform, they are going to have a global uh, virtual investor day on Thursday, March 10th, beginning at 8 a.m. Pacific time. The chief executive officer, Jimmy Iannone, and the chief financial officer, Steve Priest, as well as executive leadership, will host a series of presentations and Q&A sessions that will focus on eBay's long-term strategic priorities, growth drivers, and ESG initiatives alongside their financial outlook and capital allocation framework. Fancy talk, that. <laughs> uh, a live webcast of the Investor Day presentations along with supporting materials will be available on the day of the event. There is a link in this article to that. eBay also announced that it will host a conference call to discuss fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021 results on Wednesday, February 23rd at 2 p.m. Pacific time. There is also a link to that information. So if you're inclined to check out eBay's investor information. There's some stuff coming up. eBay dropped a big announcement yesterday in their trading cards category. They are rolling out the authenticity guarantee for individual trading cards. So this is big, big news. They, this is only for individual ungraded sports trading cards, collectible card games, and non-sports trading cards sold for $750 or more. So it's important to note that they say ungraded, and that this authenticity process is not grading. They're only checking it for the authenticity and to verify that it is in the condition that it was advertised by the seller. This is not grading your cards. They are adding this to the already existing categories that they have in their authentication program, including sneakers, watches, and luxury handbags. If your item is eligible, a blue authenticity guarantee check mark will automatically appear on the listing. When a buyer purchases the item, you'll receive confirmation email indicating it was sold with the authenticity guarantee. That will also be noted in your order details on Seller Hub. You'll ship the card then 
to the authenticator, and the card will go through a multi-point inspection, sounds like my car, before receiving a tamper-proof authentication sticker and a unique QR code. Your item will be delivered safely to the buyer via four-day or less tracked shipping. At this time, all cards sold via this guarantee will require signature delivery because, of course, they're $750 or more. Again, only single ungraded sports trading cards, collectible card games, and non-sports trading cards that sell for $750 or more are eligible. Sets, lots, kits, decks, boxes, packs, patch, jersey, wardrobe, costume cards, and autographed cards do not qualify. If your card has any of these attributes, be sure that you add them in the title of your listing. And I assume also, it's a category I don't sell in, but if there are item specifics, that would denote those things, you would want to make sure they're checked so that your card does not accidentally get caught up in the authenticity guarantee. They say they will expand this criteria to additional trading card types and price points in the future. So if you're a trading card seller, this is probably good news. Uh, There are a ton of things going on in the trading card business right now. We talked about last week how Fanatics is jumping into the space and will be offering their own site for buying and selling cards. So eBay, I think, is doing this proactively to try to get out in front of that. If you're an Etsy seller and you have your own Squarespace website, uh, Squarespace has added new selling tools. So this is kind of a cool program. Uh, Squarespace is a massively popular website building tool and they have announced new changes to the service to give you more tools if you're selling with Etsy. This new integration will allow Squarespace users to import Etsy products and reviews into their personal website. And from there, drag and drop them alongside an existing digital content store, portfolio, or blog using the Etsy import and Etsy reviews import tools. Squarespace also offers step-by-step guided walkthroughs specifically tailored to new Etsy users. You can find more information on these guides and the new Etsy seller tools on the Squarespace website, link included in this article. So that's really interesting news for people who have their own Squarespace site. This particular show is not sponsored by Squarespace. (laughs) Uh, Although a ton of them are, if you're on YouTube much, man, you see Squarespace, they sponsor everybody. So, but it's apparently a really, really good tool. And this addition for Etsy users will actually be really, really good. Here's an interesting, uh, Uh, I'm back on the let's let's go negative on Etsy. Uh, Etsy survey sellers, but quickly shuts it down. This article appeared on e-commerce bites late last week. Etsy invited sellers to take a survey, but it appears it quickly closed it. Sellers discussed it on the Etsy discussion boards after one person expressed some skepticism over whether it was even authentic. Today, I received a survey from Etsy that looked legit. It said it was to understand how we can improve the Etsy experience for sellers. The writer says, I'm about halfway through it, and I'm noticing a ton of grammatical and spelling errors. Did anyone else get one of these today, and is it spam, or is Etsy just getting sloppy? One seller said they received the survey invitation at 2.14 p.m., and when they clicked the link at 3.22 p.m., the page displayed the message, this survey is closed. We thank you for your consideration. We had such an overwhelming response to this survey that we had to close it earlier than anticipated. Um, About an hour. (laughs) Uh, I don't. I don't know how much information you get in an hour survey, but maybe they got bombarded. The this particular seller 
theorized that the respondents blasted unpopular features because they listened to this podcast, <laughs> uh, such as the Etsy Start Seller Program, the termination of phone support, closing cases within minutes without seller input, refunding customers out of sellers' accounts, and canceling orders after they had already shipped. So uh, the litany of things that people might be complaining about on Etsy may have been uh, ruining their survey results. Apparently, this article notes it's the season for surveying sellers. eBay also surveyed sellers last week. Uh, I did not get a survey from eBay, so I don't know who all that went out to, but uh, apparently it did go to some sellers. And this was more about how sellers felt about eBay as a brand. It wasn't really seller-focused necessarily. It was things about eBay makes me feel good as a user and that kind of fluffy stuff. So uh, Etsy sellers, again, who reported taking the survey, didn't describe its contents, but one seller said it took 50 minutes to complete. So that's, that's a commitment. That's a big survey. Most of these things should really only take, man, five or 10 minutes. Uh, other than that, you're really in, impinging on their time. Uh, another said Etsy surveys are put together quickly and skewed to get certain responses that they may want to use in later PR. But again, several others noted that it contained typos, which made them suspicious of its origins. So interesting stuff over there on Etsy. Back into the chat real quickly. TRB Collectibles have a love-hate relationship with Mercari. Sold on that platform, but not a huge fan. Do you get a lot of sales there? It is, uh, again, I've talked about several times here. I use List Perfectly. Shameless plug. Affiliate link down below. You can save 30% on your first month's subscription. So I essentially, I transferred over several thousand listings to Mercari and now I cross post virtually everything but my auctions to Mercari. It consistently is about 10% of the business that I do on eBay. So in a given week, if I do $1,300, let's say on eBay, I will do somewhere between 100 and 150 on Mercari. So it's not big money. It's more than Bonanza, but it's not... It's extra money and it costs me very little to do. My List Perfectly subscription is like $50 a month, which I more than make back in profits through these additional sales. So for me, it's well worth it because it's a fairly easy process to do. If I was doing it manually, I'm not sure I could justify the amount of time that would be involved. So if you're thinking about doing it, definitely consider List Perfectly. It makes it a very, very easy process to do. And there is some money to be made over there eBay stock in the last three months, the uh, TRB collectible says has fallen $20 to $58.50. If you wanted to get it at a good price, I would say get it soon. I've seen someone else say that too, that this is a good time to be looking at eBay stock. So that we'll, we'll be interested to see how that goes. This last article is more just a kind of a novelty piece. It really doesn't have anything to do specifically with a reseller. Uh, an aircraft carrier was sold for one cent for scrap, and it's headed to eBay after the Navy has rejected a $5 million museum bid. The USS Kitty Hawk embarked on its final voyage to be broken down for scrap metal while veteran sailors wait for pieces of their beloved Battle Cat to begin showing up on eBay. The conventionally powered aircraft carrier, the last of its kind, set off from naval base Kitsap in Washington after the U.S. Navy sold it to a scrap dealer for one cent. That is incredible. The Kitty Hawk, 
along with the USS John F. Kennedy, was sold to International Shipbreaking Limited in Texas for one cent. Both were launched in the 1960s before being decommissioned in 2009 and 2017, respectively, according to Naval History and Heritage Command. The deal was made after the Navy rejected a bid from the USS Kitty Hawk Veterans Association to convert the ship into a museum to be stationed at Long Beach, California, next to the retired ocean liner Queen Mary. While the association had raised $5 million in donation pledges for the project, it was estimated to be about half the amount needed for the decontamination, development, and maintenance of the ship as a museum. The Navy Office of Information spokesperson, Lieutenant Seth Clark, told the Kitsap Sun that only vessels pending decommission determined to be historically significant are considered for donation. The Navy previously had said that ISL is the company that will tow and dismantle decommissioned vehicles, including the USS Constellation and Independence. The USS Ranger was dismantled for essentially nothing. This one-cent sale contract reflects the sale of scrap seal, iron, and non-ferrous metal ores, while more sentimental pieces could end up on eBay. I can't believe that that thing would not be worth more than a penny. Uh, I guess they just want rid of it. But parts of previous ships scrapped by this company have sold on eBay, including a USS Independence brass switch for $151.55, a USS Halsey plate, for one sixty-three fifty, and a USS Ranger armor plate for eighty-one dollars. The Navy says, "I believe the ship breaking company will be offering pieces of the ship for sale on their eBay site, so there is still the opportunity for people to get their last piece of the ship before it is gone." So that's just crazy to me that you would you would sell an entire ship. <laughs> For a penny, uh, the people who were trying to do the museum setup, they did note that this bit ship was built during the era of asbestos and whatever, and that it probably still had fuel on board and was going to be a big job for anybody who is not properly equipped to deal with that sort of stuff to deal with. So I guess I get it that the Navy wants to make sure it's handled properly. If they if they took the potential five million dollar donation and the ship did not get properly handled. It may end up back on the Navy's books, but they got $5 million for it. So versus a penny, I don't know. Seems like a strange, strange situation. Uh, TRB Collectibles notes Michael Stern served, saved the USS Intrepid from scrapping in 1978. It became a National Historic Landmark in 1986. Yeah, a lot of these ships... You see they're now museums, subs, and all kinds of stuff, but I guess it costs a significant amount of money to get them converted, and the Navy wants to make sure that they're properly handled. So uh, it's a shame. The Intrepid in New York City is such a good museum. Taught me a lot through my childhood. They should have made it a museum too. Yeah, it it is a shame they could not raise enough money, I guess, to actually make that happen. It was going to be a very big job, but... There you go. So, moving on, let's get into... Some what sold on eBay. Before we do that, though, if you're watching on YouTube and you got something out of that reselling news, do me a favor and whack that thumbs up button. If you are not yet a subscriber to the channel, please consider doing that as well. If you are a, uh, listening to the podcast and you're not yet a follower of this show on your favorite podcast app, please consider doing that. I would appreciate it. If you follow me over on Instagram, shameless plug at Galaxy CDs Rocks, you saw this post. I will be putting these up every Saturday morning just to give a quick recap 
of what's going on in my reselling business. So for last week, Sunday through Saturday morning, I usually cut it off at about noon. That's when I stop working on Saturday. I did 155 new listings and I sold 129 listings, which was a massive, massive number of listings. I am running currently really old inventory at 50% off right now. And that has, that has been really, really strong. So my average sale price is down quite a bit because a lot of this stuff I'm selling at 50% off, but I'm, the money has already been made on the lots that were involved with that stuff. So this is essentially even at 50% off it's full profit. So it's been really, really good. That took my totals over on eBay to 7,903 active listings, and on Mercari, it was 4,793. I did see someone commented, I may have been the auction professor, did a video that with his eBay app, every time he refreshed it, it showed him a different number of active listings. And I had never really paid much attention, but this morning, I was getting ready to do some work, and I hopped on the app, and it said I had... 7,900 active listings, and I refreshed the screen, and suddenly it said I had 7,901 active listings, and I hadn't listed anything new, so I don't quite know what's going on there or how accurate or why that number would fluctuate, but there you go. That's an interesting topic for some future conversation. Let's take a look at some things that sold here in the last week at the Galaxy. Speaking of Mercari, uh, right out of the gate, we're going to go with Mercari. Uh, this was a gold medal Alpha Bakery children's cookbook. This was new in the package. It was sealed in its plastic, whatever, cellophane wrapper. It's from, I think, the maybe 80s era or early 90s. I got this in a big lot at an estate sale. I probably have, I might have 10 cents in this thing. It sold for $28 with free shipping over on Mercari. So that's a pretty good way to get things started. This next item, Three Musketeers by Alexander Dumas. This is part of the Illustrated Library Collection. I, these were also part of an estate sale. I own these books for about a quarter apiece. This also sold on Mercari for $30 with free shipping on an offer. I think I had it listed for $35 maybe. Uh, I've since sold a couple more books from this same series here and there at anywhere from $30 to $35. So if you see these out there, uh, it is definitely worth taking a look at. Old, again, old vintage books, if you're inclined to mess with books at all, can be pretty profitable because you can generally buy them for next to nothing and sell them for pretty good money. This was an interesting item. I did this at an auction. Uh, it is the Book of Model Furniture. It was from 1904 from the McLaughlin Brothers. It was incomplete. So whoever had this way back in the day, had built some of these, it's like paper doll furniture. And it only had, I think, three pages left. I want to say it had the bedroom, the living room, and something else. So over half of this book was gone, but I didn't really see anything else out there quite like this. So I listed this thing at an auction starting at 10 bucks, and I own it for probably a quarter as part of a big lot. It went for $34.99 plus customer paid first class shipping. So that's a really nice sale from essentially next to nothing for an item that wasn't even complete. It wasn't even half complete and it still brought 35 bucks. So don't, 
I don't want to say don't hesitate to list because not everybody has. I, I pay for a premium store. So I've got, a, for me, essentially unlimited listings. So it doesn't cost me anything to list this item. But definitely don't hesitate to look up these older items, even if they're damaged or incomplete, because sometimes they can still bring pretty decent money. Model Railroad magazines, I've talked about these, gosh, almost weekly, probably for as long as I've been doing this show, which is coming up on two years. Narrow Gauge and Short Line Gazette, six issues from 2000. This sold on a best offer. I think I had these listed for $24.99. They sold for $21 plus customer paid shipping. So the kind of the Model Railroader, which is the most common magazine, those generally are selling in lots of a year for anywhere from $15 to about $25. But the lesser known Model Railroad magazines, some of these are quarterly or bi bi-monthly can be worth pretty decent money. I own these for eight whole cents a piece. So this lot cost me 48 cents and sold for $21. An old book, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that this book is not in the greatest shape. The book itself actually is pretty good, but the dust cover had significant damage, uh, was torn at the top, chipped significantly along all the edges, uh, but still brought pretty decent money. The Student Fraternity Murder by Milton Proper. It was a first printing from 1943. Hardcover, again, with its dust jacket, I've mentioned before. Even if they're damaged, unless they're completely fallen apart, I will leave them on the books because it seems to increase their value. I had this listed for, I believe, $32.99. I received a best offer of $28 plus media mail shipping paid by the customer. And went ahead and got this thing out of here. This was part of a lot of books. I own this thing for 50 cents. Uh, this item has already, the customer sent very specific shipping instructions, which is something that sometimes irritates me. I've been shipping stuff <laughs> uh, for 21 years. So I've got a pretty good idea. And if you look at my feedback, uh, the most common comment on my feedback is how well packed the item was for shipping. Yet I still get customers who tell me specifically how to ship items. Please be sure to pack it such and such and whatever. Uh, but I did what this person asked, which was essentially my kind of my normal process anyway. And they have already left me feedback saying that it was well packaged. So yay me. Moving on. Uh, this was an interesting old stamp album book from 1931. There were 98 stamps included in this book. Most of them had already been postmarked. So it wasn't wasn't particularly an attractive piece, but because it was so old, I had it listed for $39.99 with free shipping, and I own it for a dollar. I bought this at a garage sale, and I want to say last spring. I remember I bought this and several other stamp books at a sale that we were just about to have a massive thunderstorm roll in, and she was trying to put stuff away, and I was trying to buy stuff. <laughs> Uh, but I managed to get this and a couple others, and they have done fairly well. Again, I own it for a buck. It sold for $39.99 with free shipping. Uh, another Mercari sale. So after I say I only do about 10% of my business, I've got you know three Mercari sales in this batch today. But the VTech V-Smile TV Learning System Bundle had one controller and five games. I picked this up at a garage sale last spring for, I think, $10.00 along with some other video game items. This sold on Mercari for $49, plus customer-paid priority mail shipping. So these old educational games, 
A lot of times you can buy them really, really cheaply. And they obviously I've had this for a while since I bought it last spring, but it, it sold for essentially $50 on an investment of 10 bucks. And now your flip of the week, uh, a really old comic book. I generally don't do comics, but the, I got this in a lot of comics or a lot of books rather. It was just kind of stuck in. I didn't really know much about it. I did a little bit of research and it looked like it might be something valuable. So I listed this at auction starting, I think, at $9.99. Wings Comics, number 48, a World War II era comic uh, from the Golden Age of Comics. It was produced by a company called Fiction House. It was from August of 1944. Started super, super cheap. And went all the way to $88.99 plus customer paid shipping. Uh, this was part of a lot of books that I own for about 20 cents a piece. So 20 cents into $88.99 makes that this week's flip of the week. So Wings Comics, be on the lookout for those if you see them. Again, this was ungraded. I was very specific about the condition of it in terms of uh, again, if you're watching on YouTube, you may be able to see in the photo, there's a little bit of damage in the upper left-hand corner, uh, but it was complete. It had all the pages. It was not falling apart. It was in really, really pretty good condition considering its age and 89 bucks. So we will definitely take that. We're going to jump back into the chat here really quickly. TRB Collectibles uh, auction professor did post about eBay glitches happening now. That's one of his favorite topics, <laughs> uh, I think. I, I actually don't watch him anymore, but uh, I saw someone else comment about that particular video. So what would you say the average lifespan of your inventory is? Uh, that's a good question because I've got stuff that it, I listed originally back in August of 2019 when I first kind of got started doing this. Is that right? Oh, gosh. 2018 maybe I don't know it that's really really old that is still here and I have other stuff that I list that is sold within hours so as as you saw from what I posted a few minutes ago I've got I do a hundred any generally between 100 and 160 listings every week and I'm selling generally between 75 and 125 listings every week so I'm essentially coming really close to turning all of the inventory I list, theoretically, in terms of numbers, every week. But I have, obviously, I my current 50% off sale, just to give you an example, when I created those sales, I had about 2,200 items that were old enough to fall into that category. So I do have a lot of old long-tail inventory, which is something I've talked about for years. I don't necessarily mind, because a lot of times... I own those things for typically well less than a dollar, sometimes less than 50 cents. And I bought them in a lot where the great items sold very, very quickly for really good money and more than paid for the lot. So if I sell a book after two years for $10, it's, it's a free $10 essentially to me because I'm not paying for listings. So I don't get really super wound up about the age of my inventory because I don't mind kind of the long tail stuff. Uh, have you filled up the new storage unit yet? No, I have not. I've actually, I've emptied about half of it out because I have still not gone to any estate sales. I had some stuff come up late last week and I didn't get out 
Uh, but I plan to get out shortly and hopefully fill that thing up. <laughs> uh, just bought a vintage postcard collection in plastic sleeves, 967 of them for $175. Pulled a Ryan and pulled, paid 18 cents a piece. Yeah, I've got some postcards that I have sold for really pretty good money. Auction Professor is a good place to check. He is big into the paper ephemera and postcards. So if you're not watching his videos, go search out his videos for those types of items. He does really, really well with those. I've not, I've made money on them, buying them kind of like that, 10, 20 cents a piece, sometimes selling them in lots for $20, $25. But it's not an area I specialize in. But like I said, definitely go check out Auction Professor. With that, uh, we're coming up on an hour, which is about where I like to keep this thing. So hopefully this finds you all doing well and having having a good week, a good month in business. I've mentioned a couple of times here recently, my January business is going to be better than my December business. And I've, I've seen some posts elsewhere. Again, the Pure Hustle podcast guys did a whole show last week on eBay sales being slow. So it's a real mixed bag out there. There's no rhyme or reason. It doesn't seem like to who is doing well and who is not doing well. My expectation, as I talked about going into fourth quarter, was that my business, because of the types of items that I sell, does not necessarily ramp up in Q4 like some other sellers do. Uh, but this this January business has just been bonkers. So with that, thank you again to everyone who came out this morning to the live. I appreciate it. Thank you to my listeners all around the world who are listening on podcast apps that, to be completely honest, I forgot <laughs> uh, that I had even submitted this show to. So uh, I absolutely appreciate each and every one of you who listen and who comment and share every week. With that, I'm going to close. Let's go sell some stuff. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.